morning, everybody. Thank you. Believe it or not, we are in the sixth and final week of Better Together. For the last month and a half, we as a church have been exploring what it really means to live in authentic community, to actually live out God's purposes for our lives in and through our connections to each other. And when we started this journey all the way back in January, we had two goals, two things we wanted to accomplish. One was to help those of you who were not connected to a group get connected to a group, to kind of break down the fears, to push through the barriers, to encourage you to take a risk, to reach out, to step out and do life together. And so we talked about what a home group is and why it's so important. And man, did you guys respond. In fact, over the last six weeks, we connected more new people to home group than in any other six-week period in the last five years here at Cedar Creek. How about that, right? So thank you for those of you who overcame your fears, took a risk. Thank you for those of you in home group who set out some more seats, invited, welcomed, multiplied, did whatever you had to do to get more people connected because I would say goal one, mission accomplished for now. If you're still not connected, it's never too late to get plugged in to a home group. But our second goal was not only to get more people in group, but it was also to increase the health of our existing groups, right? To just do a little evaluation, just a little checkup to make sure that our home groups were doing what God created them to do, that the five purposes that God gives the New Testament church were the foundation of what our home groups were doing. And I've heard just a lot of great energy, a lot of great excitement. God's doing some amazing things in and through your connections to each other. And so this week I thought, okay, how are we going to wrap it up? Right? I mean, I've said about everything I need, I know to say about home groups. So what should we do for the grand finale? And after some prayer, I realized maybe the most important thing we could do now that we're at the end of this journey is to go back to the beginning, to just get down to the basics, the, the thing that matters most when it comes to living in authentic community, and that is our relationships with each other. Because our individual relationships with each other really drive and determine how impactful our home groups are really going to be. I, I guess what I'm saying is, if we really are going to be better together, then we have to make sure that we're getting better at being together. So what I want to do this morning is just talk about building better relationships. And while obviously we're talking about our relationships with each other in the church family, these principles we're going to look at today, you can apply them to any relationship, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your coworkers. These principles go across all of our relationships. In fact, look what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. It says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. 
Do you see what that's saying? That's the better we love each other, the, the better we will be for the other people around us, right? If we can strengthen the community within the church, we can make a better difference for the community around the church. But here's what you need to understand about relationships. They don't get better by themselves. Relationships don't just magically improve. Relationships are not like wine. They don't get better with time. But they get better with work. They get better with being intentional about improving them. In fact, that's why whenever I officiate a wedding, I always say to the couple, having a great marriage is not a matter of luck or chance, but it is work. It takes commitment. It's the daily willingness to put the needs of another ahead of yourself. That's not only what it takes to build a great marriage, it's what it takes to build any great relationship. Because your relationships are never stagnant. There's no neutral in relationships. They're either getting better or getting worse. They're either moving forward or they are moving backwards. And so what that means is every day I am making choices that are either improving my relationships or destroying my relationships. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to look at four attitudes that can destroy relationships and then four antidotes to those attitudes that can build better relationships. Make sense? See where I'm going? All right, let's jump in. Number one, the first attitude that destroys relationships, selfishness. Selfishness destroys relationships. I mean, we kind of know that. That's pretty straightforward. But what I don't think we always understand is that selfishness is probably the most detrimental thing to our relationships. Selfishness is the number one cause of our conflict and arguments with each other. Ultimately, selfishness is the number one cause of divorce. I mean, even wars, every war that's ever taken place on this planet comes back to a root of selfishness. Somebody or somebody's wanted something for themselves. This is not new information. This is not groundbreaking relationship stuff. This is not the latest book from Dr. Oz or word from Queen Oprah. This comes right out of God's word from 2,000 years ago. Notice James chapter 4 verse 1. It says, do you know where fights and arguments come from? Question mark. Do you? Do you know where the fights and arguments in your relationship come from? I think you, uh, you maybe think you know where they come from. Most of us say, yeah, the fights and arguments in my relationship come from the stupid things that the people I'm in relationship with do, right? It's their behavior. It's their choices. But look at what the Bible says. They, these fights and arguments, they come from the selfish desires that war within who? Within you, within us. The biggest problem in our relationships is not who we're in relationship with. It is the selfishness within us. And all of us struggle with relationships, with selfishness. It affects all of our relationships. You know why? Because we're all selfish. I mean, don't feel bad. You were born that way. We were all born 
selfish. Now, a lot of people don't believe that. Secular humanists believe that we're born pure and good and the environment and the people around us make us bad over time. But let me tell you, make no mistake about it, we are born selfish. You know how I know that? I raised five children. Nothing is more selfish than a a newborn infant, right? They don't care how much sleep you got. They don't care whether you know what's going on in your life. They want what they want when they want it. If you don't believe we're born selfish, go serve for a couple of weeks in the preschool area at your campus. Selfishness is a part of who we are by nature. Interestingly, one of the reasons that some people struggle to believe that there is a God is because bad things happen in this world. And they're like, how can a good God exist and bad things still happen? Well, my question is, how can anything good ever happen on a planet inhabited by 8 billion selfish people? In fact, I would say just the fact that anything good ever happens is proof that there is a God because we are naturally selfish. And what happens is that selfishness creeps in to our relationships. Right? You, you, you've seen that. I mean, I mean, not in the beginning. In the beginning of any relationship, you're dating or you're meeting a new friend or, or you're attending a new home group or you're working with a new group of people. In the beginning, we can hide our selfishness well. Right? We cover it up well. We put our best foot forward. You know, we're opening the doors and where do you want to go to eat? I don't care. You know, wherever you want to go to eat, dear, whatever. It's all about you. Yeah, we, we can keep that up for maybe a year, right? Like the first year of marriage, your spouse gets a cold. You're like, oh, honey, no, you stay in bed. I'll tuck you in bed. I'll make you some chicken soup for your soul. I'll, I'll call the doctor. I'll clean the house. I'll do the dishes. Fast forward five years, and what do we do? Hey, would you knock off all that coughing? I'm trying to watch TV, right? It creeps in over time. Like the guy who said, when I first got married, my wife brought me my slippers, and the dog came barking. Now? The dog brings me my slippers and my wife, well, you finish the sentence. I'm not going there. You've heard me say this before. If there was more courting in our marriages, less of our marriages would end up in court. But see, here's the thing. It naturally creeps in over time. So we have to be intentional about pushing back against it. How do you do that? Serving. Serving is the antidote to selfishness. Serving the people around me breaks the hold that my natural tendency towards selfishness brings. That's why 1 John 3, 8 says, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. That's what serving is. Love in action. Serving others takes the focus off me and puts it on them. Serving others takes the focus off of what I can get from others and moves it to what I can give to others. Now hear me. When I talk about serving others, I'm not talking about the serving that we do with ulterior motives. Where we serve people in order to manipulate them and get from them what ultimately we want. You know, like when you're serving the boss and doing all those things to be helpful to the boss, not because you want to serve the boss, but because you're hoping to get that raise 
or that promotion. Or that couple in your home group, you're really nice to them and you're always doing things to help them because they have a beach house, right, and you're hoping they might let you use it. Or, or like me, I can be honest, I can be transparent. Sometimes to serve Terry, I might be cleaning the kitchen, washing the dishes, and, and I say I'm doing it to serve her, but the reality is probably it's because I have expectations for later that night. That, that's not serving motivated by love. That is a veiled form of selfishness. The best way to improve your relationships It's to not keep trying to change the people you're in relationship with. Stop exchanging the people you're in relationship with and choose to serve the people you're in relationship with. So who does that need to be in your world, in your life? Who do you need to serve? You want a better marriage? Serve your spouse. You want a better work environment? Serve your coworkers. You want a better home group? Serve the people in your home group. Selfishness destroys relationships. Serving builds better relationships. Number two, the second attitude that destroys relationships, pride. Pride destroys relationships. Now, here's the problem with pride. It's self-deceiving. What do I mean? I mean, it's hard to see it in ourselves. All of us can see the selfishness in ourselves, but we often struggle to see the pride in our lives. Or we can see the pride in others. It just doesn't show up when we look in the mirror. So how do you know you've got pride in your relationships? A couple of ways, a couple of symptoms of pride. One, constant criticism. When nobody is ever good enough or what they do is never good enough. And I'm not talking about critiquing. I'm not talking about speaking the truth in love to help people see the blind spots in their life. No, that's good. That's healthy. What I'm talking about is this constant state of criticism of the people in your life. Because when you do that, what you are saying in pride is that you know what they should do and how they ought to do it. Another symptom of pride in relationships, stubbornness. Right? You dig your heels in. You're not going to give in. That's pride. Pride says I'd rather be right than be reconciled. Pride says I'd rather win the fight than win a friend. Those are symptoms of pride. In your home group relationships, here's how pride often shows up. The tendency to one-up others. When you find yourself, you know, anytime somebody tells a story, you always got to tell a better story. Or when somebody shares a struggle they're going through, you always got to tell you how your struggle is better. That's pride when we do that. Another way pride shows up in home groups, when you always think you're the one to offer advice. To any problem, any issue that somebody brings, when you're always responding, well, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to do this, A, B, C, D, change that. Like you have all the answers for everybody. That's pride. But the biggest way pride shows up in relationships is by our tendency to pretend with the people we're in relationship with. To put on the mask, I'm okay, I'm good, my life is good. Pretending like we've got it all together when the truth is we don't. Pretending is prideful. And hear this, we are prideful because we're fearful. 
We are prideful because we are fearful. We react in pride because we think it'll protect us. We are prideful because we think it keeps us from getting hurt. But the truth is, it is destroying our lives and our relationships. Look at Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. That's not only true in our individual lives, it's true in our relationships. Pride keeps us from connecting to others. And it is in connecting to others that we are kept safe. So what's the antidote to pride? Humility. Humility is the antidote to pride. Humility will always build better relationships than pride. 1 Peter 3.8. We looked at the first half of this verse last week. It says, finally, everyone must live in harmony, be sympathetic, Love each other, have compassion, and be what? What does it say? I can't hear you. Be what? Be humble. All of those things in that verse. Leave that up there for a minute. All of those things are things we want in our lives, in our relationships, right? We were talking about this verse in my home group this past week, and somebody said, man, what a wonderful world that would be. We should put that up on a billboard. But here's what I want you to understand. You can't have the first four without developing the last one. You can't have harmony, sympathy, love, and compassion unless you are willing to develop humility in your life. One of the reasons a lot of us struggle with humility is because we don't really understand what humility is. We think humility is like Eeyore. Walking around, you know, not much of a donkey. I stink. Nobody loves me. I'm a bad person. I mess up everything. That's not humility. That's a complete misunderstanding of who you are as a creation of God. That he created you and shaped you. That's just bad self-esteem. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself Less. That's humility. And let me tell you something. That doesn't come from willpower. You can't walk out of here today and go, I'm going to be more humble. I'm going to be more humble. No, you can't willpower your way into humility because it doesn't come from you. It can only come from Jesus in you because Jesus is the ultimate source and example of humility. That's why the Bible says our attitude should be the same as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something for him to grasp and hold on to, but humbled himself into the form of a servant and even to death on a cross. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he was weak and mealy-mouthed and couldn't fight off the Roman soldiers. He died on a cross because in humility, he would not leave us where we are. That's true. There's strength in that kind of humility. And let me tell you, the only way you get that is get more of Jesus. Get closer to him. Spend more time in his word. Spend more time in prayer. And spend more time connecting and doing life with his people. Because the more like Jesus I become, the more humble I become. And the more humble I become, the better relationships 
I will have. So what would that look like in your marriage? What would humility look like in your office, in your school, in your home group? If we're going to build better relationships, we have to exchange our selfishness for serving, our pride for humility, and then number three, the third attitude that destroys relationships, and this may surprise you, insecurity. Insecurity destroys relationships. Why? Because it prevents intimacy. Insecurity keeps me from opening up and truly letting another person into my life. Insecurity and my fear of rejection causes me to hold people at arm's length. We're afraid. That's why we're insecure. When God created the Garden of Eden and he placed Adam and Eve into that garden, they had perfect intimacy with each other and with God. In fact, the Bible describes that before Adam and Eve ate the apple, God literally would walk through the garden in the cool of the evening, and they would talk to God, and God would talk to them, and there was nothing between Adam and Eve in their relationship. They had such intimacy that they didn't even realize that they needed clothes to cover up with. They had all this intimacy, but the moment they took a bite of that fruit, fear entered the world and it shattered the intimacy that they had with each other. So they covered up with fig leaves and it shattered the intimacy they had with God. In fact, the next time after they ate the fruit, the next time God comes walking through the garden, they dive for the bushes to hide. And God says, Adam, where are you? And look at Adam's response, Genesis 3.10. He says, the man answered, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And let me tell you something, church. We've been hiding from God and hiding from each other ever since. Because of our insecurities. It's interesting though. If you look at our culture. Over the last 15-20 years. We have become very comfortable. With physical nakedness. Right? I mean you watch TV. You go to the movies. You look online. You walk in Walmart. There's no insecurity about bodies. Right? I see some of these people. I'm like really. You need to be more insecure about your physical body. Please go home and put something else on. Look. We've never been more comfortable with physical nakedness. But we've never been more afraid of emotional nakedness. We've never been more afraid of true intimacy. So we connect online. We hide behind the screen and and the images that we can put on Facebook. And we are separated from each other. And we're broken in our relationships. You are created for intimacy with God, with a few other people. We, We crave it and yet we are scared of it because it requires vulnerability. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You opened up. You let someone in. You took down your guard and they rejected you. They hurt you. They walked out on you. 
Or maybe you opened up and, and became a part of a church and you got all in and then all of a sudden they kind of, the other shoe dropped and they, they changed and they started condemning and judging you for stuff in your life. Or you connected with a home group years ago and somebody or some bodies in that home group hurt you. And when we get hurt, we draw back and we say, never again. We build a wall and put calluses on our heart. And we miss what God has for us relationally. If that's you this morning, please hear my heart. I am so sorry. I can't imagine how painful that rejection was. I can't imagine how deep the wounds that that church or that home group or that ex-spouse or that girlfriend or boyfriend, I am sorry for your pain. But can I say this? As your pastor, as somebody who loves you deeply, don't let that fear and insecurity keep you from experiencing the intimacy that God created for you. Look, they've already hurt you once. Don't allow them to continue to hurt you throughout your life. Step through that fear and open up. And you say, well, Philip, if I do, can you promise me I won't get hurt again? No. There are no promises when people are involved. But I can promise you this. If you stay behind that wall, if you keep those calluses on your heart, I can guarantee you this. You'll miss God's best for your life. So how do we battle this? How do we fight against this insecurity? One word, commitment. Commitment is the antidote to insecurity. When we commit ourselves to each other, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a work relationship, when we say, I'm with you no matter what. You're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, but we're going to stay in it together. That commitment shatters fear and insecurity. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love doesn't mean we won't hurt each other. Perfect love means we're just committed to one another even when we hurt each other. Like What's that old saying? True love means never having to say you're sorry. That's a bunch of horse hockey. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. True love says I'm committed to you when you have to say you're sorry to me, and you're committed to me when I have to say I'm sorry to you. Commitment is the antidote to insecurity and fear. It's one of the best ways to build better relationships is not to change the people in your life, just be more committed to the people God has brought into your life. And then finally, number four, the fourth attitude that destroys relationships, and man, is this true, resentment. Resentment destroys relationships. Listen, anger is always a part of any relationship. You can't be in relationship without angering each other because we're so different. But understand, the problem is not the anger that we feel towards one another. The real problem is the unresolved hurt that we keep holding on to. Because over time, it becomes resentment. That's why the Bible says in that great passage on love, 
True love keeps no record of when it's been wrong. But many, if not most of us, are walking around with a file folder full of the hurts that other people have caused us. We're walking through life with a suitcase full of the wrongs and injuries of others. And we're wondering, why can't I connect? Why can't I be in a relationship healthy long term? Look, the question is not, are we going to hurt each other? The question is, are we going to let those hurts destroy our relationships? Look what the Bible tells us, Hebrews 12, 15. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I want you to circle the word poisonous and circle the word corrupting. Why? Because that's what happens when bitterness and resentment enter a relationship. It's always corrupting. It's always poisonous. And I can tell you in 20 plus years as a pastor, I've watched with a broken heart as it's poisoned marriages, poisoned home groups, poisoned long-term friendships, even poisoned churches that God was moving and using because of unresolved hurt and resentment. So what's the answer? What's the antidote to resentment? You already know, right? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the antidote to resentment. And our relationships need massive doses of forgiveness. That's why Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, I think one of the reasons we struggle to forgive the people that hurt us is because we don't really deep down believe that God has forgiven us. And until you receive, I mean really receive, not here, here, the forgiveness that God has given you, you'll never find the freedom to forgive the people who have hurt you. Forgiveness is not saying they were right and you were wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the hurt they caused you was no big deal. Forgiveness has nothing to do with them. Forgiveness is about releasing to God the pain that others have caused you so that you can love others around you. That's why, did you know in the New Testament, almost every mention or command for us to forgive others, almost every time we're told that, it is accompanied with a reminder that God has forgiven us. Because you've been forgiven. Forgive others because God has forgiven you. Some of us today are struggling with forgiveness because we don't really feel forgiven. Some of us are struggling with insecurities because we are not convinced of God's unconditional love for us. Some of us are struggling with pride and selfishness because we've never fully submitted our lives to the one who humbled himself and died for us. So as we close this morning, here's what I want to do. At every campus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that gift of forgiveness and unconditional love, to begin a relationship with Jesus. So I'm just going to simply ask, Close your eyes, bow your head at all of our campuses. If you're here this morning and you've never fully 
immerse your heart and your life in your relationship with Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross? You don't, you've got certificates, you've been dunked or sprinkled, you've been through religious rituals. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a heart conversion through a relationship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, you don't need magic words. Just say, Jesus, I need that. I need you. I'm sick and tired of my relationships and my life being messed up by all the junk of this world. I need more of you in me. Right now, I receive you. As my Lord and my Savior, your death on the cross paid for my sins. I want to live in that freedom so that I can be free to truly love others. And in loving others, find the life that you created me for. Or maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer. You know you've got all of those things and you even sense them. But there are days and times and relationships where you are living as if you were unforgiven and unloved. Would you just ask God right now, in your own words, in your heart, to refresh that, to renew that. Find the security in his unconditional love for you. Find the healing and freedom in his forgiveness of you so that you can freely give that away to others. Oh, Father, thank you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.